Okay, so we're in a series called Back to the Future, and the goal is for us to deal with some of the negative things that have happened in our past so that as we go into the future, it is not tainted. Um, do, you, do you know people who every time you talk to them, they're always talking about something that happened in the past? They're always bringing this along, and you're thinking, my goodness, get over it. It's been 75 years, for heaven's sakes, let it go, you know, let it go. Or your spouse brings up something you did, you know, eight months ago, or remember that time you're, you were eating with your mom and you said that her dessert was better than my dessert? I'll never forget that, you know, gotta let this stuff go. And so I've done a lot of teaching over the past five or six weeks. So I want to make it easy on you today. I'm just going to build your faith. Some sermons are intended for you to leave here and learn a lot. And some sermons are just intended for you to just, just leave with more encouragement and faith. And that's what we're going to do today. So today in part six, I want to talk to you about this. Give God your past. Give God your past. Now, you know the law of sowing and reaping. I've taught this to you over the years many, many times. And so let me ask you this. If I want an orange tree, what type of seed do I have to sow? An orange. Now, I can't sow a lemon seed and pray and pray and pray and believe for an orange tree. That's not how it works. You understand? Okay, the whole Bible is full of the law of sowing and reaping. And I know you know this. So let me ask you some questions. Um, if I want the windows of heaven to open up on my life and pour out a blessing that I cannot even withstand and rebuke the devourer for my sake and protect my business, what do I need to do for that to happen? I need a tithe, right? The first 10% of your income, the tithe. And when you do this, God does this. That's the whole Bible. You do this, God does this. You do this, God does this. Um, the Bible says this. Uh, oh, this is a good one. If I want to be poor, if I want to be a poor person in any area, poor in relationships, poor in my health, poor in finances, what type of person does the Bible say I need to be if I want to be poor? Do you remember? It says, it says a lazy person. A lazy person is, if you want to be poor, be lazy. Sowing and reaping. Are you with me? I thought y'all would have known that answer, but you don't know that answer. That's good because none of y'all are lazy. Oh, yeah, what about this? I'm, I'm going to give you a seed and you tell me the harvest. And here's the seed. Resist the devil, submit to God, and the devil will leave. Y'all have read your Bible. That's great. Or you found a fortune cookie. One or the other. But either way, that's good. Okay. Okay, what about this? If you want friends, you must show yourself friendly. friendly. Oh, oh, oh. Trivia night, this team's going to win. You're going out to eat with the pastor. Okay, so you sow the seed, God brings the harvest. Let me give you one more. This is a great one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved. I hope you all know that law of sowing and reaping, okay? You discuss. Okay, so here's the question. If I want my future to be something that's new, something that is supernatural, and something that is from God, if that's what I desire... What do I have to sow? What do I have to give to God? What do I have to do in order to receive that in my life? Isaiah 43, 18 says this, forget what happened yesterday. In other words, stop dwelling on things you can't change. It goes on to say, don't dwell on the past. Let it all go. And here's what God says, I'll do. When you do this, here's what God says. Watch, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. I am making a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Okay, when Isaiah prophesied this to the Israelites, they were in captivity to the Babylonians. And they were actually in captivity because it was their fault. They actually did the wrong thing, and now they are captive to this, this horrible, evil nation. So when Isaiah prophesied this, they're thinking, well, we've been this way for years. Nothing's going to change. And Isaiah says, if you'll stop dwelling on all the bad things from the past, if you'll stop bringing it to your remembrance, stop talking about it, you'll see that God's already doing something new. If you'll notice this scripture, unlike a lot of scriptures, this prophecy is in the present tense. 
Do you see that? God says this, I've already started it. I'm already doing it. It's already in motion. Behind the scenes, I've been working things out. But it implies if you're looking in the wrong direction, you'll miss what I'm trying to do in your life. You can simply be looking the wrong way and miss what God has in store for you in your future. Uh, last Sunday night was the Super Bowl. And um, I could not care any less about football or Super Bowl unless my buddy Willie Corn is involved. Willie's the coach of uh, Chanticleers. He's a member here, good friend of mine. And um, he wasn't in the Super Bowl, so I didn't care to watch it. For some reason, they didn't ask him to be a part. They're, it was their, their mistake. They're, they're wrong. But anyway, he wasn't in it, so I didn't care to watch it. So my wife and I went to a sushi bar, and, we, and soon enough, as soon as we sit down, I look, and all the TVs have the Super Bowl up on the screen. And the restaurant was kind of full, and so I thought I would make a joke, because I kind of knew the people. We go there a lot. And so kind of out loud, I said, hey, does anybody mind if I change the channel? <laughs> and we're not allowed to eat there anymore. And so, and, and so I thought about this. You know, the, the last minute I hear the Super Bowl was like really intense. The underdogs were up, and then the opposing team scores. The underdogs were trying to score, whatever. Imagine you're watching the Super Bowl, and during the commercial, your child changes the channel, and you don't realize it. And you're sitting there waiting for it to come back on, waiting for it to come back on, and you miss the last minute of the Super Bowl simply because you're watching the wrong channel. Do you know the new exciting thing that God wants to do for you? It's already in motion, but if you're too busy focusing on the past, you're going to miss what God's doing. And here's, here's the cool thing. Even if God got them out of the Babylonian area, their thought was this. We're in the middle of the desert. God, even if you free us, even if you change what's going on right now, we're in the middle of a desert. How are we going to get, we'll die out there. And God said this, I can make a way in the wilderness. Amen. I can make rivers in a desert. What I'm doing is supernatural. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to stop looking at the past and believe that I'm doing something new in your life today. And last but not least, it says this, spring up. That implies the seed's been planted. And when you plant a seed, you don't see the roots. You know, you don't see it start. You only see it when it comes out of the dirt. You can plant a seed and think, oh, nothing's happening. I've been watering. I've been doing nothing's taking place. But down below the earth, things are taking place. And it's just a matter of time. So you need to come with expectancy that God's doing the new thing. Right? So here, for your points to have three points today on the type of things that you can sow, that you can give God to have to do with your past. They all start with the letter S. And point number one is this. Give God your sorrows. Give him your sorrows. Isaiah 61.3. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. Oil of joy for morning praise. Programs. There's an exchange that has to take place. You cannot have beauty and ashes. You have to give up ashes. Man, this is an incredible law of sowing and reaping. Incredible. As God loves us so much, he can say, you can give me nothing but ashes and I'll bring beauty in your life. But you got to release it. You got to give it to me. The reason this is written is because in the Old Testament, whenever somebody was going through a horrible tragedy in life or something negative occurred, they would put ashes on their forehead. God told them, this is okay. This is how you let people know you're in mourning. And it helped because, you know, if you're at work and you're in a bad mood, they see the ashes on your head. They know, okay, they're going through a really difficult time right now. Or if you're at Walmart, you know, and you're just not paying attention, you're looking down, and they'll see that, oh, we need to pray for them. There's ashes on their forehead. Well, after a certain amount of time, depending on what you went through, God would say this, now wipe off the ashes and go forward. And a lot of people didn't want to wipe them off. A lot of people wanted to leave them. Here's why. They enjoy the self-pity. They enjoy the excuse. Well, this is why I'm not happy. See? Ashes. This is why I'm not, you know, really blessed right now. Ashes. 
This is why I'm so down. Look at the ashes. And they let everybody, look how poor, all bad things are happening to me. And God would say, it's time to wipe it off and go forward and I'll give you beauty. Um, when Job, remember Job lost his family, lost his job, lost his head. He had boils all over his skin. Horrible things happened. The first thing Job did in Job 2 verse 8, it says, he went out in the field and he sat among the ashes. He just sat there. And you know what happens when you do this? The sorrows lie to you because our emotions are liars, by the way. And they tell you it's going to be this way forever. You're never going to get over this. You're going to be in these ashes for the rest of your life. Huge lie. It was so bad, Job's wife said in verse 9, just curse God and die. Now, for those of you that are single and you're looking for a spouse, this is not the kind of spouse you, this is the kind of spouse you find on Tinder or one of those places, right? Or what's that horrible, horrible dating thing? It's horrible. What is it? Facebook. Okay, I just want to see if any of y'all were going to call it out. Good job. Y'all passed the test. I was waiting for somebody to say one of them horrible, horrible dating ones. No, no, no. That's where you find people like that. Curse God and die. Just curse God and die. And so Job thought, man, it's going to be like this forever. My wife's left me. Everything's over with. Finally, a friend of Job's came along in Job 8 verse 7 and said this. God will restore your prosperity and your future will be far brighter than your past. He was saying, Job, you're looking in the wrong direction. If you'll get up out of the ashes, God will do great things in your future. But you have to first get up. You have to release the ashes to God. Finally, after 42 horrible, long chapters of fighting with God and how bad my life is, finally he gets up out of the ashes. And in Job 42.10, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he blessed his past. And you know what? After this day occurred for the rest of Job's life, no one ever even knew that he went through the horrible time. That's how much God blessed him. No one even knew that his past was horrible because of how blessed God made his future. Um, I read a true story about this girl. It was on the news a few years ago. When as a little child, uh, she was incredibly healthy, very active little kid. But when she turned 11 years old, she got a pain in her side. And the doctors thought it was her appendix, so they removed her appendix, but it didn't help. It actually kept getting worse. It got so bad that at 11 years old, she lost 30 pounds. 11 years old. The doctors were baffled. They didn't know what to do. Um, slowly, her body stopped working. She stopped being able to swallow. They had to feed her through a tube. Uh, her arms stopped working, her legs stopped working, her eyes stopped opening up. She had no way to open up her eyes. She stopped being able to communicate. She ended up in a hospital in a vegetative state. Finally, by that time, the doctors diagnosed it with a rare autoimmune disorder that causes swelling in the brain and swelling in the spine. The doctors told her parents uh, she's going to be this way for the rest of her life and her life's not going to be that long. She'll be in a coma forever, and she's not going to live that long. And they kept encouraging the parents, you should just pull the plug. You're wasting time paying for her to stay in this hospital. Nothing's ever going to change. Her mother and father, month after month after month, they sat by her bed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And they would read healing scriptures out loud in the hospital, day in and day out. Two years went by, two years in a vegetative state, and all of a sudden, her brain woke up one day. But she couldn't talk. She couldn't see. She couldn't communicate at all. In fact, if you find out, you know, behind, in hindsight, what happened was her ears actually started working. So she could hear the doctor saying she's never going to get better. And she couldn't communicate. I'm alive. I'm alive. Don't pull the plug. She couldn't open her mouth, couldn't open her eyes, couldn't move her body. But her ears were working. Not only did she hear the doctor saying to pull the plug, she also heard her mom and dad reading scriptures over her every single day, praying every single night. That went on for another three years. 
three years. Finally, one day, her eyes opened up. After five years in total, her eyes opened. A few months later, she spoke for the first time. A few months later, she ate. Her arms started to move. Everything worked on her except for her legs. She was paralyzed from the waist down. Here's a picture of her. She was happy to be in a wheelchair. She was very happy, but she wasn't satisfied. Again, the experts came in and they told her she would never walk again. We're happy she's alive, but she's never going to walk. Now, let me just tell you something real quick about experts. There's a lot of experts in this room. I'd say in my field, I'm an expert. In your field, you're an expert. Doctors, lawyers, they're great. But nobody has written your destiny except for God. Yeah. Don't let anyone, I don't care if it's your parents, I don't care if it's a prophet, I don't care if it's a pastor, a coach, a teacher, nobody knows what God wants to do in your future except for God. Don't listen to anyone else above him. He is the final authority in your life. I am, don't even, don't even let me. Listen, I'll encourage you, I'll tell you what I think the truth is, but I'm just a man. I am just a good-looking, charming, charismatic man. That's all I am. Nothing else. I'm just kidding. Okay, so this girl, she finally woke up. Okay, three years later, she's in a wheelchair. Her family kept praying and kept praying. Today, today, <laughs> not only is Victoria Arlen able to walk, but she's able to dance. She was on Dancing with the Stars, and she's the youngest ESPN personality on air in history. Psalms 126.5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Here's what that means. Even when you're full of sorrow, do the right thing anyway. Even when you're full of sorrow, give while you're crying. Serve while you're crying. Pray while you're crying. Read your Bible while you're crying. Don't let the tears control you. Don't let the sorrow control you. Don't make the mistake of staying in the ashes. Even if you're full of sorrow and tears, you need to still sow seeds to come out of that mess. Um, there's a lady that's a member of our church. She's part of the second service. And um, her and her young daughter came here in 2020 um, just after her husband died. It was an incredibly devastating time for her. Um, she was filled with sorrow, but she kept coming to church. She put her faith in Jesus. She served the church in tears. She gave in tears. She worshiped in tears. In fact, one time she met me in the hallway talking one day during the week for about an hour. She's bragging on things that God's done since her husband died, but she's crying in tears the whole time she's praising God. She's crying, saying, God got me, because the husband was the main money financial person, and she said, God got me a job at the Christian school my daughter goes to, and she's just crying, while she's trying to smile the best she can, but tears are just pouring out of her eyes. Psalms 35 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The morning could be the time when you choose to get up. It's not just when the sun rises, because some of y'all sleep past that. It's when you choose to get up out of the ashes. Man, this woman, listen, she was filled with faith, and she was filled with sorrow at the exact same time. Exact same time. Now, when I say um, that she was um, putting her faith in Jesus, and I say that she was spending time with God, I don't ever want to say spiritual things that you don't understand. You know, they sound good from a pulpit. Yeah, put your faith in Jesus and serve and spend time with the Lord, and you leave here and thinking, what does that mean? Okay, so let me tell you what it means. Um, this woman joined the church even while she was full of sorrow. And she served her church family even while she was full of sorrow. This woman spent time with Jesus even when she was full. Like, um, if, and I don't mean this in a sacrilegious way, but if you can have a relationship with a dog, then you can also easily have a relationship with God, okay? And I'm not being sacrilegious, but understand, um, does your dog like it when you, when you praise your dog? You're so scared, you so much. Your dog loves it, right? Okay. Jesus loves it when you thank him. 
You, you make a list in 30 seconds a day. You say, Lord, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that you're providing good things. Thank you that you're opening up the right doors. Thank you for keeping us healthy. You just, he loves it when you do that. Does your dog love it when you go on a walk with your dog? Loves it, okay? Jesus loves it when you go on a walk with him. Does your dog like it when you buy him treats? You know, I got this. Dog loves it. Jesus loves it when you give to his children. The Bible says when you give to one of his kids, it's like you're lending him money, okay? Does your dog like it when you pet your dog and hug your dog? The Bible says that we can hug God. We, we, we touch him with our worship. When our hands are lifted, it's like we're giving Jesus a hug. So if you can have a relationship with a dog. My wife actually preached on, on the five love languages in youth group a while back. And she's had a joke. She said, um, what is a dog's love language? You know, time, touch, gifts, service, act. It's everything. A dog will take anything, right? And then I said, well, what's a cat's love language? Nothing. Cats are from hell. From hell they came, from hell they shall return. <laughs> anyway. I'm just kidding. I love animals. They taste delicious. <laughs> okay, okay, calm down. So anyway, so listen. So this woman, listen, she's serving God. She's in tears, but she's serving God. And, and, and all of a sudden, one day in 2021, she gets a letter from a guy she knew 35 years before. 35 years ago. 35 years ago, she knew this guy. And he writes her letter, puts it in the mail. And for those of you who don't know what mail is, it's something you, you can't read it with your laptop. You have to walk out to the mailbox and open an envelope and you pull out a piece of paper and that's what it just, in case y'all knew. And so this guy, long story short, they start communicating back and forth. After that, they start falling in love. He moves here to Myrtle Beach. He starts coming to Solid Rock. He becomes a good friend of mine. And y'all better not say anything about what I'm about to tell you. You better say nothing, okay? During our second service today, he's going to join the church and propose to her in the middle of church. Now listen, listen. Listen, and see all you single ladies like, we need to start going to the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> Forget Tinder, we're going to that 11 a.m. service. Okay, listen, she wasn't looking for a husband. It wasn't in her heart. In fact, when she cried to me, she thought, I'll never, ever, I can't ever do, be the, I can't ever, I can't ever give my heart to anybody. No, no, this is it for, I don't know what I'll do the rest of my, I lost my husband. What's going on? How can my life go on? And listen, Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's what that means. It does not mean that God will give you whatever you want. It means this. When you put him first, he puts desires on the inside of you. And the desires he puts inside of you are greater than the desires you had before you delighted yourself in the Lord. Amen. If you, he can actually change your heart. She, she wasn't looking for a husband. She was looking to honor Jesus. And Jesus put that desire inside of her heart. And today's going to be, talk about a great future. And this guy's a godly man. And they, they, they're very pure. And she told him from the beginning, I'll kiss you. That is it until we get married. So let me just tell you something. If you think sleeping with somebody is going to cause them to marry you, it's the opposite. You want them to marry you, don't sleep with them. They'll get married quick, believe me, okay? Okay. <laughs> Enough of that. Point number two is this. Seasons. You got to give God all the past seasons. I need you to remember things about the past. Um, it comes and it goes. Our, our life is like an ebb and flow, like an ocean. You know, sometimes you get big waves, sometimes small waves. Sometimes it's completely still and there's no waves. In the words of the wisest man who ever lived, which is King Solomon, other than Jesus, of course, and the words of the great prophet Kevin Bacon from the movie Footloose, <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11, this was in that movie, by the way, it said there's a time for every season. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, uproot, heal, weep, laugh, mourn, dance. The conclusion, Solomon said, is this. God makes all things beautiful in its time. 
All things beautiful. So listen, it's not time yet. Uh, if you put your faith in God in time, everything that you've gone through will turn out beautiful in time. Don't judge your future based on your past. The future, it'll be beautiful in time. You know, Job, we talked about Job earlier, horrible things, right? Wife left, his boils on his skin, he lost his business, money, everything went, you know, to, to it's horrible, horrible time. When we read the book of Job, we think, man, this guy's life was nothing but tragedy. What a horrible, I can't believe he went through all this. You know, it was just nine months. It was the 42 chapters of Job fighting with God. I'm not going to get out of the ashes. Life stinks. I just kill me now, Lord. Just kill me now. It was nine months. It was like pregnancy, which is not that tough at all, by the way. It's totally easy. Not nearly as bad as Job. But anyway, nine months, okay? Job, now, the, the last two scriptures in the book of Job are the most, most amazing. It, it sums up the whole book. Job 42, 16 through 18. After all this bad stuff, after everything horrible that happened, he lived 140 years, saw his children, their children up to four generations. So Job died an old man, watch this, having lived a long, good life. Like, it wasn't good, Job. You had boils on your skin. You lost your business. Your house burned to the ground. You had nothing. Your friends walked away from you. How can you say it was good? Because at the end, when you put your faith in God, all things in the past will become beautiful in its time. Um, I do not like at all um, going on vacation. I love staying at my house. I cannot stand to leave my house or go out of town. I get all this anxiety. But I love my wife, and she loves to do uh, adventurous slash uh, mentally unstable things. And so... <laughs> She jumped out of a plane, you know, a few months ago. Um, I, I paid extra for her to have the parachute. And, and then she wants to do bouldering and rock climbing. We do all these things. And I'm like, honey, I'm in my 40s. It's not healthy for me. But so she talked me into last year um, rappelling down a 200 and something foot waterfall. 200 foot waterfall. And I had to pay money for this to happen in my life. And so, you know, we climb like, it's like an hour climb to the top of this mountain and, and, the, and the water is just freezing cold and, and they tell you don't look down, but if you look up, you, you feel like the FBI captured you and they're trying to find out where Osama Bin Laden is, you know, you know, water logging it. And listen, and I love teenagers. I have teenagers. I, I think teenagers are, I just love them, right? They're great. But when you're about to rappel down a 200 foot waterfall and the two people in charge of your rope are teenagers named Cheech and Chong. Oh, it's gonna work out very good. These nature kids, you know how they are or whatever. I want a lawyer or a doctor or my mom or my dad tying my rope, you know? Whatever, so we're doing this thing. And so I go first, right? And as soon, and you have to, you have to, when you're there, you have to get out and you have to climb over the cliff. You know, you climb over, and, and the mountain doesn't go like this. The mountain goes like this. So there's nothing really, you do. and so it's either, you know, die, or hold on, there's no going back up. Because with the water hitting you, you can't climb back up. And as soon as I get over the cliff, and that actually made me kind of feel good, my natural instinct was to all of a sudden, without even thinking, I started praying out loud. I, was, I, was, I thought of every sin I've committed since childhood. Lord, forgive me for hurting my brother, and forgive me for beating up this kid, and forgive me for you know, everything. I started praying for all my children out loud. I was praying in tongues halfway down the mountain. And I thought, and I finally, finally hit the bottom, and my feet touched. I said, oh, Lord, thank you so much. And I just thought, God, I'll never be foolish and do this again. Only morons do these kind of things. They wasted their money. God, thank you. I'm so sorry. Thank you. I'm alive. And in my mind, I thought, man, I feel so bad for everybody else. 
because it took me an hour or an hour and a half to get down the mountain. Do you know how long it actually took me? Eight and a half minutes. I thought it was at least an hour because it was the most horrible eight and a half minutes of my entire life. I thought it would never end. You know, that's how it is in life so many times. Well, it's never going to end. God, I can't believe this happened. And God said, hey, compared to eternity, it's not even eight and a half seconds what you're going through. It's nothing. Just let it go. And, you know, my, my wife was next. And is, is there a picture of me? I think there's a picture of me. There I am. Horrible, horrible. And my wife, she's next. And the whole time I hear her, oh, this is great. Woo, woo, woo. So much fun, you know. And she's crazy. And then, um, and then her sister, Anna, was with us. And, and I, I'll never forget, Anna, you can see her through the waterfall. And as soon as Anna looked and she thought she saw somebody with a camera taking a picture, she thought she would stop and pose right in the middle. <laughs> Everyone in the family but Nate is messed up, okay? <laughs> okay, listen. So there was this lady, this Israelite woman, and she was pregnant. She was about to give birth to her child. And when, she, when her water broke, she heard through the grapevine that someone stole the Ark of the Covenant away from the Israelites. And if you know the Ark of the Covenant, if you watch Indiana Jones or if you read your Bible, one or the other, you know the Ark of the Covenant, that's where the presence of God was. She was so upset during this time of giving birth that someone stole the Ark of the Covenant. In 1 Samuel 4.21, she named her son Ichabod, saying this, the glories departed. She named her future based on her past. She soured the next season of her life because she thought the season she's in now is never going to change. She could have just as easily named him the glory will return. The glory will be doubled. The God who restores. No. She named him the glory's God and we're never getting it back. How you handle your current season will determine what God does in your next season. How you handle what you're going through right now is going to determine what happens in your future? Now, Moses had a little boy while he was in slavery. While he's in slavery, in Exodus 2.22, he named his son Gershom, which means a stranger, for he said this, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. Here's what he was saying. All this poverty, all this defeat, all this sorrow, all this sadness, it's not going to last. This is not my permanent address. We're not going to live in these ashes for the rest of our life. Every time he called his son's name, he was reminded, all of this junk is foreign to me. I'm not going to stay here forever. I'm coming out of this. We're not going to live in this forever. It's going to get better. God's going to open up a door. He's going to make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. This isn't our home for the rest of our life. Amen. You cannot let your future be determined by your past. I think about it like this. Um, you know the scales of justice, right? The, the way they weigh. If you were to weigh all the negative things in your life with all the positive things in your life, for some of you in here, because I know some of your stories. For some of you in here, I agree that your negative would outweigh the positive. I agree. Some of you have been in, gone through incredible, incredible, horrible things. I mean, years of sexual abuse uh, by someone that's supposed to protect you and love you and take care of you. So I know the negative would outweigh the positive. But you can't weigh your life without weighing your destiny. Amen. If you weigh it up to this point, it may, it may outweigh. But if you weigh your destiny, with your history, you'll always outweigh the negative. Yeah. You have to look at the future of what God has for you. Romans 8, 20 says, all things work together for good to them that love God. Amen. Now, I'm going to say something that's probably going to upset some of you, and that's okay, because you know I love you. It does not say all things work together for good to them who God loves. 
I hear too many people who are living a lifestyle that is totally unbiblical, living in sin, full of unforgiveness, judgmental, whatever these problems. And when you confront them, they say, oh, but God loves me. God loves me. You're right. He does love you. But that's not what causes all things to work together for good. The question is, do you love him? That's a big question that we all should ask ourselves on a regular basis. Well, I don't know how to love him. I just told you several ways earlier. If you can, if you can, if you're a human, you know what it's like to have a relationship. You can choose to love someone. Okay. Okay. Point number three is this: um, seeds. All the past seeds, the things that you tried and that didn't work out, the things you thought you, you, you know you thought for sure you were going to get an orange tree from this orange seed, and for some reason it's not coming about. You give all those things to God, and I promise He will make sure you produce fruit. John twelve twenty four and says, unless a seed's planted, there's no fruit that's going to come in life. Now. What has happened to you is not nearly as important as are you producing fruit right where you're at today? What has happened? Your circumstances that are surrounding you are not nearly as important as this. Are you sowing seeds right where you're at? It, it, we, we love to talk about all the things happening to us that have happened to us. My question is forget all that and tell me this. What are you doing to serve God today? What kind of seed are you putting in the ground today? Are you praying daily? And I don't mean something in your head. I mean out loud praying, spending time with Jesus. What are you doing to show that you love God today? Uh, Matthew 6, 31 says, if you put him first, he'll provide everything else. Amen. In, in other words, stop looking for the things that you want provided and start looking to the person who provides them. Yeah. Look to God and he'll give you all these things that you want in life. Um, <clears throat> there's a wonderful girl here, Elaine. There she is over there. Elaine's one of our children's church teachers. And when we hired her, we never thought she would actually want to come to church. We hire professional staff back there, and we do have volunteers that come to one service and serve at the other, but we make sure that we're fully staffed professionally with our kids because um, we want to make sure they're there on time, do a good job, and um, we want to make sure they're trained with autistic children, um, they know how to handle CPR, all that kind of stuff. And so we hired Elaine a few years ago. Her and her husband, they got married back in 2020. And uh, they desperately wanted a child, so they, they immediately got pregnant. They were so excited, I mean, just so excited, static. And unfortunately, she went through a horrible miscarriage. It was very, very devastating to her. In the process, she learned that there was something wrong with her thyroid, and the doctors had to take um, her thyroid out. Well, Elaine said, and I'll, she came to me one day crying in tears, and she said, um, I need to get closer to God. She told me what had happened with the miscarriage. She said, can I start attending church? I was like, yeah, you can start saying we'd love you to start attending church. And so she said this, and I'll quote, the miscarriage was the only factor that brought me closer to God and wanting to believe that he was in control and that he had a plan. Now, you would think because that seed did not produce a, a, a full baby, full term, live, you would think that, well, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't work out. The seed's been miscarried. We're not going to get anything good from it. But no matter what you give to God, he always, always produces fruit in your future. Past seeds, bats, whatever has happened in your past, give it to God. He'll get something good out of it. Amen. Elaine said, because of this, listen, because of what happened to her, now not only is Elaine in church, her husband Christian's in church, right. her mom's in church, her dad's in church, her brother's in church, her sister-in-law's in church, her sister's in church, her brother... We're going to have to have a third service just for her family. <laughs> Today, Christian and Elaine are four months pregnant with their baby girl. <laughs> you 
You know, when you put God first, everything just kind of seems to work out in life. Adam and Eve, real quick, I'll tell you, they had, uh, they had two boys at first, Cain and Abel. And no matter how much you try to raise your kids right, when they grow up, they have their own free will choices. And, and for some reason, Cain got upset and he murdered his brother Abel. It was the first murder in history. In Genesis 4, 16, it says, because of that, Cain had to leave the presence of the Lord and live in exile in the land of Nod. Adam and Eve lost two boys in one day. Two kids in one day. One was the murderer and the other was murdered. Now, can you imagine the pain that they were going through? And the interesting thing is, whenever Satan deceived them, God said the result of that is, Eve, one of your children is going to rise up and destroy Satan. It was a prophetic word of Jesus Christ, and he was going to come through the lineage of one of their kids. So now Adam and Eve think, well, man, one kid's dead. The other one doesn't want to serve God, has ran away. The only way for this prophecy to come true is if we have another child. Now, if you lost two of your children in the same day, one murdered woman, how much faith would you have to have another child? How much desire would you have to have another child after that? Here's the point I'm making. Sometimes in order to move forward, we have to be willing to hurt again. Sometimes in order to move forward, we have to be willing to love again. We have to be willing to put our heart out there again. Trust again. Um, it says in Genesis 4.25, Eve became pregnant again and said, God has appointed unto me another seed. For everything you've lost, for everything that's been stolen from you, God will, if you put your faith in him, he will appoint to you another seed. Uh, last story, and I'll let you go. I read this uh, as I was studying some Black History Month stuff. Uh, true story, it was on the news a few years ago. This single mom, she was a school teacher in Compton, California. Now, if you know anything about Compton, I know I heard some of y'all already. Compton was known as the roughest environment probably in America um, gangs, drugs, I mean, the surroundings, environment, nothing but negativity. Her husband's in the penitentiary. She's raising her son alone for 13 years, and the only dream this mom had was for her son to go to college. But all the odds were against him. Negative environment, no money, dad's in prison. <clears throat> but this mom is a praying mom. She serves her church. Listen, sometimes the only seed you have left is prayer. And that should never be a last resort, by the way. That should be a first resort. So she prayed and prayed and prayed, serving in her church. When her son was a senior in high school, he sent out, you know, the college applications everywhere. And all of a sudden, one day, a handwritten letter came in that said, congratulations, you've been accepted into Harvard University. Elijah Devon, there's a picture of him. He's the first African-American student ever to go to Harvard from Compton. First one in history from Compton to Harvard. Recently, only 32 American students were chosen to be a Rhodes Scholar. And he is one of the 32, which means when he graduates from Harvard, he's going to Oxford Law School. <laughs> Listen, this mom knew that I'm in a dry place, but God can make a river in a desert and a road in the wilderness. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise from the depression in which the circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Okay, real quick. It doesn't say... Since your circumstances have changed, get up and go forward. It doesn't say since God has fixed everything, everyone's treating you right. You got money in the bank and your health is good. So now get up and go forward. No one says this. I recognize that the circumstances have got you down, but don't let them keep you down. If you want the circumstances to change, you have to first get up and I'll give you the new life. Amen. Okay. Let's